You're listening to an episode of Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from Charleston, South Carolina. In this episode, I'll talk about the six-hole playoff at the BMW Championship between Bryson and Patty Ice. Patty Ice, that's the new nickname for Patrick Cantley, and it is fitting. I'll share some more banter from my playing partner, Cloudy Graves. And then I'll talk about Elvis. Not the fat Elvis, not the skinny Elvis. Elvis, the trusty hound dog, who walks the beaches of Sullivan's Island with his buddy, Jeff Parrish, to help clean up the beaches. And then lastly, I'll share a story about a couple from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who I met in the parking lot at Charleston National Golf Club the other night. This couple set their minds to play golf in all 50 states. And playing golf at Charleston National satisfied their goal of playing in South Carolina. This is episode 63 for Tales. 63 episodes and continuing. 595 cities in 33 countries worldwide, just inches away from my first 10,000 listeners. But here's the best part. Sometimes we go through life doing things and get absolutely no feedback. Well, that hasn't been the case with Tales. I mean, of the thousands of downloads, I've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback. Some of it is wonderful. Some of it is, let's call it constructive criticism. And I once worked at this company where the motto was, criticism is a gift. And at that company, it was like Christmas every day. So if I had to distill my feedback into one thought, it would be, keep doing it. Regardless of whether people feel that some of my topics are inappropriate, over-the-top, off-putting, or maybe not covering some of the things they like to hear, the bottom line is what I'm hearing is just keep doing it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, maybe I'll go on like a Tom Brady run. And talking about Tom Brady, like most of you, I've got thousands of of stations and content to watch. I subscribe to four premium streaming services and no, the Playboy channel is not one of them. I don't get the Playboy channel. I mean, it took me five years to come up to the conclusion that I didn't need it, but finally, I don't get the Playboy channel. So I'm I'm streaming through Netflix, Amazon, uh, Hulu, And I really can't remember what streaming service I landed on. And I come up to this docu-series, or actually it's a documentary, about Tom Brady. And generally, when it comes to documentaries, I find the production value, the quality, far lower than the majority of all the other content that's out there. So it takes a lot for me to sit down and watch a documentary. But there was something about the way that the producers and, and the directors curated this that, that got my interest. The theme of the doc was how a kid with physical talents below the greats in college, below the greats in prose, 
was the most underrated player of all time, who also became the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, this guy played great high school ball. He gets drafted to play Michigan. His junior year, he wins 10 games and has some incredible comebacks. So you think he's coming into his senior year and he's going to be the man. But Michigan gets to recruit Drew Henson. Now, this guy was an All-American everything. Great baseball player, great quarterback, actually went to the pros in baseball and played for a while. And now Michigan has a chance to bring him in as a quarterback. Think about what that does to their revenue. Think about what that does to their TV viewers, what it does for merch. So Michigan makes this business decision to bring in this big name to help them do what they do best, make money. So Breedy gets to his senior year. He actually has to share snaps with Drew. He doesn't get to play every down. He only played 11 games. So what happens? His stats go down from his junior year. And when your stats go down from your junior year, that makes you less attractive in the draft. And then he goes to the combine. He's not the fastest guy. He doesn't have the most dexterity. He can't throw the ball as far. He can't throw it as quickly. So now it's draft day. Tom doesn't go in the first round or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth. He gets picked 199th in the sixth round. And think about what that does to his mindset. This kid was a great player, great quarterback. Hell, I think there were four other players from the Michigan team that got picked before he did. And the documentary says something about, you know, Belichick saw something in the kid. He didn't pick him in the first five rounds. So I think one of the statements they made was, it gets to the sixth round and Bill's like, wait, nobody's taken Brady yet? And they didn't need another quarterback. He was fourth string. They didn't need him. But Bill saw a little something in the kid, and he just thought, hey, I'll bring him on the roster. And you know how it goes at the NFL. If it doesn't work in a few months, you know, we'll deep six him. We'll trade him to somebody. A few facts. How many of the 198 players that went before Brady still play in the league? And you'd say to yourself, well, you know, longevity is not the thing in the NFL. I mean, most guys average three to five years. So maybe that's not a good barometer. How many guys have six Super Bowl rings and have done it with two different teams. How many of the 198 players have one Super Bowl ring? I'll let you tell me that because I think the answer is none. So this documentary is really about the underdog who had so much self-confidence that he willed his way to be the starting quarterback and eventually lead his team to win five Super Bowl championships. During the documentary, Tom's dad is dusted into the documentary to share his observations on how Tom handles adversity. I mean, it's a compelling part of the story. A dad and his boy working and growing together against heavy odds, and the odds were not in their favor. It's a story about self-belief and hard work. And, you know, as golfers, we know you have to work hard to be a little bit better. Do you remember when Tom last year was playing in the match 
and he started off horribly. And Barkley just couldn't do enough to give him shit. And then he gets out in the fairway on this one hole and from, I don't know, I think it was 150 to 175 yards out, hits a shot and holds it and holds it. And his microphone and his pack just kind of flies out in his follow through. And after that, he just shut Charles Barkley up. That's who Tom is. Whether you like the guy or not, and he could have been on the team that your team had to beat and couldn't. So it's easy to hate a quarterback, particularly when the quarterback just makes mincemeat of your team. But whether you like him or not, you just have to respect him. Six Super Bowl rings. The most underrated player coming into the NFL. You got to love it, man. And still, all the reporters keep asking, is this your last year? Is this your last year? And I think the thing is, Tom's going to know. Tom's going to know when his body quits on him. Tom's going to know when he starts firing himself. That'll be the time that he calls a press conference and tells the world he's done. And when that day happens, there'll still be stupid reporters asking stupid questions because every reporter is looking for that tabloid soundbite. Sensationalism sells. Not well-thought-out, mindful questions. Yeah, so I hope Tom makes it through another season. He's fun to watch, and his team certainly rallies behind him. The FedEx Cup, top 30 players in the PGA, $15 million purse for the winner, $5 million for second place. All 30 players that show up are guaranteed at least $395,000. I mean, that should certainly cover their travel, food, and lodging for the weekend. I wonder if any of the 30 players recall when they first started out on tour. Um, or if they had to play these mini tours to get experience before making the elite PGA tour. If you're not sponsored by Deep Pockets, the cost of entering, traveling, and staying in some of these towns where the PGA is can put a dent in your savings, if you have any at all. You don't get paid unless you make the weekend. So for a lot of the players, Friday afternoon, there are a lot of trunks slammed after the players are thrown in their clubs out of disgust with all these receipts in their back pockets from food, lodging, travel, and anything else they were doing that week. Now fast forward. You've made the top 30 to compete in the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup at Eastlake Country Club. My guess is that all 30 players aren't thinking about the 395000 they're thinking about the $15 million in title of tour player for 2021. The BMW Championship was the final positioning of the top 30 player. And I don't want to bore you with the consequences for each player. I'll just talk about the end of the event. Bryson DeChambeau, who happened to have shot a 60 on Friday, and Patrick Cantley, Patty Ice, both end up with 27 under par, breaking and shattering the records for the BMW Championship. 27 under par. 
Bryson had a chance to close out Patty Ice on the 17th hole where Cantley hits his ball into the water, 187 yards out, hits it into the water. This should be a no-brainer. But Bryson's off the green, and Bryson has not chipped his golf ball. Being off the green on so many other shots, he putted it. That tells me, because I've been there before, when your chipping's not working and you can't get your mind right, you pull out the flat stick and you putt, and you putt it over the rough, because there the rough wasn't that rough. But in this situation, he was in a little bit deeper stuff. He couldn't putt it, so he had a chip. And he hits it fat. He bogeys the hole. Cantley makes an incredible shot. He bogeys the hole. They go on to 18. Bryson still one up. But he pars 18 and Patty birdies it. Now we go off into a playoff. Experience tells me if you let a player with nerves of steel hang around, you better have your A game in a playoff because that player with the nerves of steel is just going to stick around, stick around, stick around until you make a mistake. That's what happened. So 18 is a really tough hole, a tough driving hole, but both of these guys have mastered it over the weekend. And so Bryson gets up first, blasted drive 330 yards down the fa- right down the center of the fairway. But now Cantley gets up, hits a nice drive well behind him. Now it's Cantley's turn to hit. And if you go back and watch the tapes, you'll see this. As Cantley is taking his club back and as he's about to hit the ball, some goofball fan starts yelling something right as he's swinging. He pulls his shot left of the green, and now he has a very difficult chip shot. Meanwhile, when Bryson goes to hit, quiet as can be. Anyway, Cantley gets up and down. Bryson misses his putt to the left. When Bryson missed on Sunday, he missed to the left. That's a pull shot, and that happens when your nerves get to you. Now they do 18 again. They both tie again. Now they go to 17. This is where Cantley put it in the water. They both hit some incredible shots. They both par. They go to 18. They both par. And again, Bryson is missing to the left. He's lipping out putts. And Cantley is making these incredible long-saving putts. So you could just see it. And I've seen this before when I played. When somebody has nerves of steel and their putter's working, you pretty much guarantee that when they're about to putt, they're going to make it. And you have to think that because if you think they're going to miss and they make it, it's like there's a knife that just went right in your back. So now they're playing their fifth playoff hole. It's 17 again. And we've seen what could happen at 17. Bryson goes first again, hits an incredible shot to maybe six feet, actually backs it up a little bit. Now it's right below the hole and the fans are going apeshit. Now it's Patty Ice's turn, and you're thinking, he's already hit it in the water once. What's he going to do? He hits a shot. He hits it to almost two and a half feet from the pin inside of Bryson, and you could tell this guy's not going away. So it's back to the 18th tee box again. And quite frankly, I think Cantley has the advantage. They both hit really good drives. They both hit really good approach shots. What's it going to come down to? Cantley is farther away. He puts first. He fucking drains it. It's like, I don't know, it's like a 12, 15 foot, you know, a sliding putt. He drains, of course he does. 
And now it's Bryson's turn. Again, Bryson's closer. All he's got to do is hit this putt right in. What does he do? Misses. Cantley wins. So now coming into the FedEx Cup with $15 million on the line for first place, Cantley starts the tournament 10 under par. Bryson starts 7 under par. And now you've got the 30 best players from 2021 competing at Eastlake. And like every weekend, you just never know who's going to show up. And the same with the pros. I mean, they're going to practice. They're going to go with their swing coaches. They're going to go with their psych coaches. They're going to do everything they can to position themselves to win the money. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. You got to believe Cantley has the advantage at 10 under. But, again, you just don't know who's going to show up. episodes ago, I shared a story about Cloudy Graves, the Mississippi-born, Tennessee-molded G-man that landed in Charleston and just hasn't left yet. Now, I think he's sticking around to help his son hit his stride. That's not easy when a parent takes a consultative road after being a direct supervisor for their children for years. It's either that or he's trying to win every freaking golf bet until somebody just throws in the white flag and says, enough, Cloudy, enough. Well, good luck with that. I don't think many of the guys are going to throw in the white flag anytime soon. So Cloudy and I are playing with two other guys this weekend. One guy, Billy the Kid, and another guy I'll call the Senator. This guy looks like a Senator when you first see him, just has that look to him. Anyway, I've talked about Billy the Kid before in past episodes. This guy can shoot his age. I mean, he's in small company. Not many guys can do that. And Billy likes to compete and Billy likes to win. And when you're playing a team competition where all four of you are on the same team competing with three or four other teams, Billy will remind you how important your putt is despite the fact that he might have just bogeyed the hole. And you know what? That's okay. I like to motivate others. I like to get motivated. So we're playing one of these holes, and I'm about to putt, and I think it's like a a six-and-a-half-foot putt, a big slider. I know I have to make it. I know it's going to make the difference because I think I actually get a stroke on the hole. And for me, I have got to have total concentration when I swing a golf club or I putt. I go through this thing in my head. I go through the pre-shot routine. And by the way, I was watching Cantley this weekend. He has the most unique pre-shot putting routine. If you watch him, he goes up to the ball and he sets up and he starts marching with his feet. And he keeps marching and he keeps marching until he feels he's settled. I'm going to try that. What the heck? Doesn't hurt. Yeah. So back to Billy. So now Billy, as I'm about to putt, tells me, hey, we really need this. (laughs) And inside, um, I actually said something. It's like, I'm going through my pre-shot routine. I'm really trying to concentrate. I really want to make this. I really do. But uh, yeah, I missed it. And it's not because of what Billy said. It's just because my wheels are starting to fall off. 
as we get to the back nine, they're falling off because again, the night before I go to the COVID cabana and I'm meeting new guys. I've got some great stories that I'll share in the future, but when I'm hanging with these guys, I overserve myself. And sometimes, you know, bourbon and ice just tastes good some nights and it tasted too good. So as I get to the back nine, I am failing. I can't make a putt anymore. My hands are shaking. I've lost my balance. And of course, Cloudy Graves has got to say something to me to help me get out of my head and improve my game. And here's what he does. He goes, hey, Richie, Richie, you ever see Tombstone? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen almost every movie. Yeah, Kurt Russell, Billy Bob Thornton. Val Kilmer doing this accent that just made absolutely no sense to me that Doc Holliday would speak this way. But yeah, I've seen the movie. And he goes, hey, Rich, do you remember this one line? You going to do something or are you just going to stand there and bleed? You going to do something or just stand there and bleed? Now, Cloudy's saying this to me, probably after I just triple bogeyed a hole and then went on and bogeyed another hole. And he says that it makes me laugh. But as I think back on the rest of the round for the last five holes, I was one over par. That's mainly because Cloudy reminded me to forget about the bad shots. After watching Ted Lasso, I got a line. Be a goldfish. Think like a goldfish. They have absolutely no memory. Cloudy has a way of communicating that just makes you laugh, but it also makes you realize, I am just sucking today. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. And I think before that comment about the movie, Cloudy had gotten this video that his son had sent him about golf. And he wanted to share it. He goes, hey, Richie, you know what a whack fuck is? I'm like, whenever Cloudy says something, I'm like, I know I haven't heard it before. He pulls out his phone and he shows me this really quick uh, video. So the quick setup is there's this guy who looks at the camera and says, hey, playing a game of whack fuck today. And you don't know what the hell that is. And then you could see him with the camera behind his buddy. And as his buddy's taking his club back to swing it, as he's coming down at the ball, the guy with the camera yells, whack. And then the guy gets, you know, distracted, hits the ball, shanks it to the right, and says, fuck. Playing a game of whack fuck here. Whack. (laughs) I mean, the things that go viral on TikTok and YouTube, it's crazy, right? But it's funny. Once you see it, you just have to laugh. Elvis has left the building. Born through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there and they began to wait. The band was jumping and the drum began to swing. You should have heard the locked out jailbird sing that rock. Everybody let The Elvis I'm referring to is a hound dog. His trainer and companion, Jeff Parrish, walk the beach daily to pick up shit that other people leave behind. I saw him Sunday, and he comes to me after he's done his three-mile walk. 
And he's got a green bag filled with bottles, plastic cups, cans, and anything else that people brought to the beach and decided they're just going to leave it behind. I mean, I don't get it, but Jeff does. And all of the people that Jeff has enlisted to help keep the beaches clean, they get it too. Now, I've been going to the beach quite often there, and I, I was watching this one gal the other day swim out to this sandbar two times a day when it gets down to low tide. There's like a 100 to maybe 125-yard breach inlet area where you could swim out to this sandbar And then when you get out there, you could actually walk it. And it's only you and pelicans out there. And then sometimes there are boaters that come up with their boats, anchor, and go out on the sandbar. But I watched her do it. I watched her swim out there and swim back. And I thought, you know what? I have been swimming now for years. That's like my thing to stay in shape. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. So I go out there the day after I see her do it. And I do it. And it's basically, it's 85 strokes Each arm to get to the sandbar, 85 strokes. And it's funny because you get to the 40th or 50th stroke and you just want to look up and make sure you go in the right direction. So because this has become my thing lately, I'll see Jeff and Elvis out on the beach all the time. Did you know that hound dogs can swim? I mean, there are clearly more breeds that could swim other than retrievers, setters, and spaniels. A few weeks ago, we had a hard lightning storm on the beach, and Elvis reacts aggressively when he hears thunder and lightning. I mean, he's got a thunder shirt, and Jeff gives him sedatives. Those are the only two things in combination that help to settle Elvis down. Could you imagine every time there is a a lightning and thunderstorm, you put on a winter coat and drop, you know, 50 milligrams of Oxycontin? that's kind of what Elvis has to do to calm down. So Jeff is sharing this story with me. He goes, last week when we had a lightning storm, Jeff and Jody were out doing something and they come back to the house because they know Elvis is going to be freaked out. And they walk in the house and they can't find him. They go out to the backyard a lot where Elvis hangs out. And the back door, the back gate of their backyard is open. And they're like, how did that happen? Well, they know Elvis was probably out there barking and barking and barking. You know, I can't imagine that a neighbor would do that. So maybe Elvis figured out a way to open up the gate, but now he's disappeared. Now Jeff's getting worried and he's walking around. He's calling for Elvis, not hearing Elvis. So he starts to walk out to the beach and way out in the water, Jeff hears Elvis barking and swimming. And Elvis is out past the sandbar that I was just talking about. And what he's doing is he's barking at the lightning and he's barking at the thunder. Imagine a dog that was so set on protecting his people that he swims over a hundred yards into the ocean to scare the storm away. At least that's what Jeff said Elvis was thinking. Personally, I think he was making a break for it. Meet the Millers. I seen a rainbow yesterday, but too many storms have come and gone, leaving a trace of not what God given me. Is it because my life in ten shades of gray? I pray all ten fade away, seldom praise for the sunny day. So I'm at the parking lot 
at Charleston National Golf Club the other day, packing my sticks in my trunk after spending an hour and a half practicing my short game in the short game area while it was 100 degrees out. Man's got to know his limitations. And as I'm packing up my trunk, I see a couple doing the same thing I'm doing. They're parked across from me. And the trunk's open, and I can see these big, hard-covered travel bags. So my keen sense of deductive reasoning drove me to the conclusion that these people aren't locals. Very effective, my dear Watson. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. So I just start up a conversation, and I ask him, hey, where are y'all from? I was hoping I'd get some kind of travel story or something about their lives, and was, was just hoping that they weren't wallflowers and they're like, uh, yeah, you know, we, we are from over here. And then they get back in their car and they just drive away. It was just the opposite. I mean, these people were approachable, engaging, and happy that somebody actually came up and talked to them. They introduced themselves as the Millers from Minneapolis. And first the husband comes up to me to shake my hand and introduces himself as, well, let's call him Hap. Hat Miller, followed by his smiling wife, Felicity Miller. And they both come up, engaged, shaking hands, happy to be talking to somebody. And they go, yeah, we're from Minnesota. We're from the Twin Cities. Um, and look, if you've ever spent time in the Midwest, and I have, you realize that people are salt of the earth, kind, nice, very similar to people from the South with a different accent. So after introducing themselves, Hap starts telling me their story. So in the middle of COVID in 2020, they get this idea that when they could finally get out of the house, they want to travel the United States and they want to play golf in all 50 states. Did you hear that? play golf in all 50 states. Wow, wow, that's incredible! I had a friend that I worked with years ago that had decided that he and his son were going to go visit all of the new baseball parks in the United States. And they had a mission to do that. But to go play golf in 50 states, that is pretty cool. This trip for them just happened to be playing golf in the Carolinas. But here's one of the criteria for the course to make the cut. They have to be able to get a tee time, and it doesn't have to be the most popular, most notable course in each state. And here's why. I mean, this is not a travel guide to the most popular golf courses in the United States. It's a mission. It's a mission to travel the United States, play golf, find local restaurants, and meet the people in the local areas. And then Felicity blogs about it. She keeps a journal. She recently retired, so this is good for her, a good use of her time, and she loves it. Now, Hap is still working. He runs uh, two handfuls of Domino Pizza franchises back in Minnesota, and he's, he's training his son to take over. So, you know, this is a perfect thing for them to start to do because he's going to have a lot more free time. They just came down from Pinehurst and needed to complete the Carolinas, 
with a Charleston visit. Man, I like their style. I mean, if you've never visited Charleston, it's a happy, festive destination with more and more visitors returning to stay longer. Yeah, so they were trying to get tea times and they were able to get a tea time at Charleston National. You know, they didn't want to go play the ocean course and they didn't want to go play some of the Kiowa courses. They basically wanted to play a course without breaking the bank, positioning themselves close enough so that they could be downtown. And they were going to spend two nights downtown. And the conversation then started going to, hey, Rich, where should we eat? And when they ask me that, I'm like, I'll start asking them questions. What do you like? What, you know, and everybody is pretty much the same. And so they didn't have any major eating restrictions. So I'm like, hey, if you can get into halls, if you can get into raw 167, if you like a more traditional seafood place, if you can get into Hank's, if you don't mind going over to James Island and go to the Wild Olive, these are some places that I think you'll leave and have a great memory. And then I started telling him about the Hall's experience. And for anybody who's ever eaten at Hall's Chop House, it, there are two things that you leave knowing. Number one, the food is top-notch. It's awesome. But number two, the customer service is like no other. The Hall family figured out... Bring people in, treat them the way they treat each other, and they're not a dysfunctional family. You can tell. And you could tell the way all their employees handle customers. You know, I've always, I've said before in previous podcasts that the old Chinese saying, a fish rots from the head down. It also works the other way. I mean, when you've got a leader in an organization that has a mission and a vision to treat people the way that you'd like to be treated and to treat people in a way where when they leave, they talk about it and then they come back. I don't know what their repeat purchase is. I know they have high trial. I mean, they're packed all the time. It's hard to get a reservation, particularly for their Sunday brunch. They have a gospel brunch on Sunday that just kills hard to get into. But this family has figured out a way to treat people the right way. And when people leave Charleston, if they've experienced halls, they've experienced Charleston. You know, and when you're going to go to the most popular restaurants and you don't have reservations, you know, the Millers are smart. They're like, hey, our strategy is let's go to some of the places that the locals say to get into and we'll go to the bar and we'll eat at the bar. We just want to feel what it's like to eat in restaurants that everybody likes to eat in in these towns. So their mission is to travel the United States, play golf, talk to the locals, and sample the best restaurants in the area. Of the Roger Page story combined with diners, drive-ins, and dives. So the Millers, I wish you the best of luck, and I wish you a safe and happy journey. I've seen a rainbow yesterday, but too many storms have come and gone, leaving a trace of not what God given me. Is it because my life in ten shades of gray? I pray all ten fade away, seldom praise for the sunny day. So I was playing the Charleston Muni today with my buddy Pat, who I've referred to as Dr. Les Payne in the past. He's an anesthesiologist from Toledo, Ohio. We actually met at the Muni like a year ago, and every time he comes in town, we try and tee it up. I finally won back the 10 bucks that I lost to him on the last trip. So, so it was a great day for one of us. 
And if you've never played the Troy Miller redesign, I advise having a shrink on speed dial at the end of your round or or at least have yourself a heavy pour at the 19th hole because those greens will make you cray-cray. Me acting so cray-cray. So I'm telling Pat about my chance meeting with the Millers and their quest to hit 50 states and play golf in all 50 states. And then he just said to me, Rich, why don't you do that? You can podcast your experience every state you play in. You ought to do that. You know, Pat, crazier things have been said. Yeah, so maybe I'll start a GoFundMe page or serve the idea up to my friends at Callaway, TaylorMade, Titleist, or my favorite brand of ball, Encore. And perhaps HBO would want to run a series on my experiences. You know, you, you just never know. Never say never. You've been listening to another episode of Tales. Next week will be the season one finale after a full year of weekly podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. And who knows what the future holds? Maybe it's Tales on Tour. Talk to you soon.